Hello and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots. Today we've got another recording live from South Start. If you listened last week you would have heard that we were sitting at the convention centre in Adelaide in a teepee having some fireside chats with some of the keynote speakers and, and workshop facilitators from the incredible South Start convergence that happened this year. Not a conference, it was, it was really a convergence of of minds and of humans, people doing some really cool stuff, not just in South Australia, but around the country and world and getting them in one spot to, to create some conversations. We've got another one of those for you today with the always very charismatic Dan Levy. Dan and I have bumped into each other at some of these conferences around the country over the last few years. It was last year at Pause Fest, he was running a, a workshop around design sprints, which his business, More Space for Light, helps facilitate. He uh, is one of Australia's leading practitioners of design sprints. Yeah, we sat down and we dove straight into where his business name came from, More Space for Light, and then went through the process of of what design sprints are. So if you're in any sort of organization that is looking to innovate, uh, do any sort of change management or build new products, then the whole process of design sprinting is a a really, really powerful tool to fast track that process. So without me rambling on about it now let's dive in and listen to the expert on the matter mr dan levy live from south start well dan welcome to the humans aren't robots podcast thank you very much for having me sam so you've literally just walked out of your workshop here at at south start correct how'd it go it went really well i was really worried when we started because um because we weren't who sweet Unfortunately, we're not Hootsuite. So they, there's somebody put on the listing that the room I was presenting out of was, uh, was Hootsuite. So you'd have people come in, look really, really confused and turn around. So before I started, I said, we're not Hootsuite. So if you want to see the Hootsuite thing, leave now. And, and a few people scuttled out the room. So it wasn't, I didn't feel too confident. With Shit, that's not a great way to start. <laughs> no, I know. But what happened was, as we were going, more people came in. So I reckon we had about... We had four teams in the end, so we had over around 26 people, so it was awesome. That was a really nice number. Yeah, because I think, oh, well, let, let, let's take a step back. So uh, your business is More Space for Light? Correct. I, I mean, I mean we, we, we're mates, we catch up and talk a lot, so it's, uh, it's weird having to go back and do this sort of interview style, but where did where'd that name come from? I don't think I ever asked you. Okay, okay. Usually this is, you know, you get this after a few whiskeys or gin and tonics or whatever, <laughs> and I start to get super emotional, but... Um, you got, right, so basically, um, the name more space for light. So I come, so I come from a design background to give a bit of context. And um, I, I knew, you know, when you feel you you'd relate to this, Sam. When you feel ready to go off and do your thing. So when you started Digital Noir, you I know you did freelancing, but you came back and you took that leap. And there were a few things that kind of aligned that made you feel confident that you were ready to do that. Mm. Now, I was, I was going through that process and um, I, I had a young family, so I only had one little one at the time. And, um, you know, I'd heard all about this, you know, you need a business plan, you need a business model, but bear in mind, I'm, I'm more, um, more right, right, uh, left brain creative. I was, yeah, left brain. I'm more left brain thinking sometimes, well, most of the time. And one night I was putting my little boy to bed and he said, Mummy, I want more space for light. 
Hmm. And I, I kind of stopped. I was like, what, what does that mean? My wife's Emily. I was like, Emily, what does that mean? And she shared with me, well, he says that every night. It basically means he wants more time to play. He wants more time to read. He's not ready to go to bed yet. Now, two things beyond that. First up, how profound that was, how yeah. simple. Just as an example today, my three-year-old said to me, I, I got him a T-shirt and he said, oh, it's my favorite, Daddy. It's got the up sleeves, which meant it's a T-shirt. The way kids break things down, super simple. Up sleeves. So it was like, from that perspective, it was just so simple, so easy, so relatable. And also, it really, really struck me that I wasn't about to hear that. You know, that was the first time and he said it often. Mm. So for me, it was like, well, that, that, that's not just the name of a company, that's a mantra. And that became like the genesis of everything I wanted to bring into the brand, making it a relatable brand, making it super easy, getting rid of all the BS and, and having some level of accountability. And also not just thinking about the work itself, because once you focus on the work and add that tension, it removes any form of creativity. So enabling people to more sp- like trying to get to what they're achieving. So in, in regards to uh, going back to saying about starting a business, I started with a philosophy mm. and then reverse engineered the business model, which I still continue to revisit to this day. That's such a nice place to start from then. Because I think I was talking a lot yesterday about people doing the opposite, starting with a business and then trying to reverse engineer the philosophy. And I think that's really difficult to do. Also, I think that, that, that kind of separates business owners. And, I, and again, I'm going to make an assumption here that you... you are attached to the brand Digital Noir. It's your brand. Some, physically at the Physically moment. as well. I could get to, I want to, I want to get one of those G-Lays. Um, some people run businesses just like they're machines. Sure. And, they're, and they're able to just change and switch from business to business. And I, I kind of get it and I kind of envy those people. But because there's so much emotional attachment now part of more space for light it's it's almost my challenge is almost always to separate myself from the business Mm. and that's my been my biggest goal in terms of what we're doing at more space to try and turn it more than from me and actually make it a product or something that's get more scalable yeah with that philosophy at its at its core Mm. yes exactly exactly and that's our guiding that's our north star and and also that's how um, the people that we work with, they relate to us because they believe in that North Star. You know, like it's not just about work. It's about that, is, you know, being a person as well. Do you tell that story in your, like, you know, when you're, when you're out prospecting for clients and things? Or? No, because yeah. it kind of, because it's kind of, it, it's quite a precious story. Yeah. So I've just told all of your listeners. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know, like, like I don't want to. I, I don't want to kind of get into that kind of emotional blackmail. You know, this is our story. This is why you because mm. it's quite a precious story. It means a lot to me. Once people, if somebody asks, I'll share it. Yeah. But even then, it's kind of like they have to be the right fit. They have to be a more space type of person that we want to work with. And I think as well as a business owner, it's actually really uh, liberating to be able to have make that decision. Of, of knowing up front and being able to say to organizations, look, we're not going to be able to add value to your organization because you don't align with our principles. You can't really see the value of what we're going to do. And it's not going to end well. Yeah, 100%. I was uh, talking to Steve Baxter about that yesterday. He had slightly, well, not, not a different opinion, but he, and he was saying at the end of the day, you know, if you want to do something for money, even if it doesn't align yeah. with you, then 
that that's your choice. You can do it. But, yeah, exactly. Um, I was sort of saying the same thing as you. Like we turn down a lot of people now just because I don't think I can add value or I don't think that, you know, we align. So yeah, uh, well, it is powerful. And it's also brand reputation as well. Yeah. I mean, like you might have the best of intentions, but if you do a shitty job or, you know, whatever it might be, that that really affects your brand. And especially you just want to give the best possible experience and you want to add as much value and you know and you expect it, the people that are on your team to be proactive and, and to be on the front foot and represent your brand because they're representing part of you. Yeah, that's right. So I, I was kind of interested in going... Have we gone, have we gone a little bit in no, a different no, direction? No, that, that, that's exactly where I'm going to start. But I think, I, I think it's actually quite interesting for our listeners to, to just, you know, go into simply, like, w- what is it that you guys do and, and talk about design sprints, um, you know, from a, from a high level? Because I think a lot of people might have heard of design sprints yeah. or design thinking and agile and all these kind of these kind of words, but not really know what, what a design sprint is. So, uh, so what's cool in regards to the way we discovered design thinking and design sprints was that we very much came from a bottom-up. And by saying bottom up, what I mean is that we were creating and designing conversations, for like work. That's a fancy way of saying workshops. And um, what occurred to me after about a year of doing it is that we're actually doing design thinking, even though I didn't realise, because you have other consultants and other practices that do it, and they have all their fancy names and they have all their pro- procedures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we're creating all of these sheets and these different tools that align with design thinking which was a massive revelation for us and the reason and so just kind of backing up so we work in design thinking and the reason we work in that design thinking space is because what we found for us to add the most impact is to get as far away from the problem solving to the problem seeking as possible because that's where we can add real value and that's where often people aren't pointing the laser at the right place so we found that um, using the language of design thinking was a really effective means for us to get alignment from stakeholders and be able to go and talk to the big fancy corporates, be able to go in the room and have those conversations because we felt confident that we could tease out their, the, the, the priorities and the things that they were driving and striving towards. Now, we discovered design sprints um, in 2017 and um, design sprints basically i'll give you a, a bit of a preview a quick reader's digest of the talk i just gave yeah, cliff's, they, notes. cliff's notes basically a chap called jake nape who worked at google created the process in 2010 he used the process at google basically to hack the discovery process to create a repeatable method for initial project exploration he used it across uh, a lot of the google uh, Google businesses, whether it would be Chrome, Search. And then he went over to Google Ventures where he was able to refine that process with other partners and they created this one-week structure called the Design Sprint. Within Google Ventures, they had an incubator and they had different companies such as Slack, such as Medium, such as Gimlet, and they were able to use this to, um, to bring in early to ensure that they had companies had product market fit, that they were actually building something you know they were solving a problem worth solving from there he open sourced it released a book in 2016 and then big companies embraced it people like nasa people like lego ikea disney the un councils we picked it up in 2017 after reading the book because we were trying to figure out well 
you know, if we're going to be working in this like problem seeking space and this discovery space where we're not basing our value on outputs, but we're working in more outcomes to help organizations select the kind of the right area and feel confidence and de-risk the decisions they're making. This is a really good program because it's, it's repeatable and it, we can time box it. And also from a business perspective, it's a product that we feel we can have a conversation, know exactly how long it's going to last, how many resources we need, how much it's going to cost. And as a, um, as a business owner, especially working in the more consultancy space, everything's very liquid and very fluid. You know, building websites, nailing down expectations and scope. We could scope within a week and, it's, and that was awesome. Nice. So, so let's, let's have a think about that so from, a, from a practical standpoint. It's pretty crazy those you mentioned Slack, Medium, Gimlet, like three incredibly successful companies. You know yeah. that's, that's come through. So the Google Ventures were working with them, were they? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, cool. I mean, uh, there, there is actually a startup episode where they have Jake come in and okay. do a design sprint. That was the first time I ever heard. Because you you familiar with the startup? Yeah, yeah. But was that in season one or is that season in, one? Yeah, so Jack came in. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So watch, it's really good. I went and really. So I listened to it like years ago because I've always been a yeah. uh, no. Uh, reply all fan for, for a long time um and then went back and listened to it after the acquisition and it was really interesting going oh, and listening to it isn't it and yeah. it was so inspiring as well because um they open sourced their whole process like they there was no holds barred warts and all you saw everything they did they took you through it it was mm. just fascinating and also from a, it it lowered the bar in the respect of it's not so you know, they took away a lot of the hard edges that you wouldn't know. They revealed those, so it was yeah. fascinating. Yeah, actually, um, I, I like when you read a business book like that, right? So, there's an, have you ever read um, Donald Miller? So, um, Brand Story. Um, no, I haven't. It's same kind of thing. So, it, it, it's similar. He lays out similar kind of workshops for um, like discovering a brand, right? Or, and so, and and basically gives you the toolkit to be able to yeah. facilitate these things. I think often when people read these books, they go away okay, there's some practical knowledge, but then don't actually you know, realize they can apply that framework as a product themselves, right? Like you've basically been given no. a recipe to, to run with something. So what's interesting about this, so, um, I, I actually accidentally received two copies of the book. Jake, I, um, we're connected, so apologies, I didn't pay for one of the books. <laughs> and I gave it to somebody that we were working with. So we were working in government and I, I wrote in a post-it note, this book will change your life. And at the time, I didn't realize it. And I saw that person put it in their drawer. And we were working with that company, that organization, for about a couple of months. And it used to just drive me bloody bonkers that it was still in the drawer. They never took it out of the effing drawer. <laughs> so what I did the last week, I just took the book back, asked for it back. Because like, if it added no value. And going back to what you said, it's exactly right. Some people read it and they don't realize that this is actually a process that they can apply. Yeah. So what's happened since the book, there's a massive community now of people that do design sprints. I'm connected. My company's connected globally with people out of Austin and Voltage Control, um, AJ and Smart out of Berlin. We're partners with a company called Design Sprint Academy who we met through the Design Sprint um, community. And we represent the Asia Pacific region and they've got partners in India who we ran a webinar for a few weeks ago cool. for their, like they had a Thai Innovation Awards, they're called QGlue. Okay. And then there's a company out of Toronto called Libio who coached me when I was looking for our first salesperson. Oh, nice. So like 
it's amazing what's come out of it. They now run a remote design sprints. So hmm. the whole global community. I'll give a shout out to a chap called Robert Scobie. Scobie, apologies if I got your name wrong. And he's been running a Google virtual design sprint at the moment. Hmm. And that's enabling organizations that have distributed teams to use a workshop to be able to align and use these tools nice. to get to their outcomes. What's his name? I'd be interested in having him. Uh, Robert Scobie, S-K-O-B-E. Apologies, Rob, if I got your name. Yeah, that... that um Oh, I might loop back to that around. Yeah, I, I can connect you in. Workshop. So, so then in a practical application, so um, so we, I, I personally deal with quite a lot of uh, you know early stage founders who who might have an idea, right? And and I think let's look at it from that application as opposed to you know in, inside a business. So if, if I've got an idea for an app, let's say a yeah. mobile app, where I'm trying to two tiered marketplace, I'm trying to connect businesses with customers right yeah so i've got a i've got a hypothesis of a you know a business model i, I believe there's a niche in this market and these x is going to want stuff from y and i can build a platform to connect them it, it, if they came and spoke to you like from a design sprint point of view what would be the journey that you take them on through that week okay so if, um so first up what we do so sometimes we've been running a thing called problem framing uh we've a smaller organization we might not need to because have a, they'd have a clearer idea of what they're trying to solve and they wouldn't have so many stakeholders. So just as a caveat, what we've found is that a lot of people that run design sprints go in fresh. They read the book, they think, day one, let's go in, let's smash it. Mm. What ends up happening is that um, the execs come in and they're like, what the hell is going on in here? Who are you? Why are you sitting in here for five days on a jolly up eating square bits of cake every day just because you want to get away from your desk? <laughs> The big thing what I found with problem framing and the value it adds is it first up gets the prioritization of what we want to solve and also ensures we have the right people in the room to solve it. Now going back to a smaller startup, the design sprint, you might not necessarily need problem framing. You can do that very quickly to align on what you need. What we do is uh, we bring in the team. So generally what happens with... Um, with a startup, there'll be a small team of like six to eight people. And if they don't have enough people, we might bring in our design team or our tech team that will be working. We'd also see if there were any people. So say, for instance, if it was shopping, we might look for some external experts to recruit to give an outside perspective. Because you've got to remember, founders are very precious about their idea. Very. Very, very. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then what we do is we run through that first phase where we'd look at that challenge and we'd work out, we'd atomize it and break it down. What does it look like at a meta level and run them through journey maps, persona, and we try and work out what is the problem they're solving and what is the thing that will, what is that key thing that will indicate that what they're going to invest in and get all these other people to come along on this mental journey with is a problem worth solving. So we'd align on the, what that key thing is and then we'd identify some questions that we'd need to answer to determine whether we are on the right path. From there, the team would start ideating and coming up with all different types of solutions. With ideation, we'd not just be looking in that category, we'd be looking in adjacent categories, disruptive categories, things that have happened in the past. You know inspiration can come in many forms. You can look at things that have been um, accomplished in other industries. Everything follows the same sort of pattern. It's just the ingredients or the industry that changes the color. We then decide on what the most appropriate solution or uh, creation could potentially be. 
relating back to the challenge and those questions we're looking to solve. So that would be the founder and they'd be able to rationalize to the group whether it, you know, like what the direction is or if they didn't agree. And then we'd go on to build something. We'd build a prototype, very simple prototype, bring in their customers because sometimes they don't even know who their customers are. Mm. You know, like they've got two eyes, they blink, they've got two ears and yeah. sometimes they rub their tummy. Uh, men to women, 16 to 65. Yeah, yeah they want, they breathe. Yeah. <laughs> they take the Adelaide Metro. What, or, what does a prototype look like in that sense? So, so it, just, to, just to step out a bit, th- this process is four to five days, yeah? It's a time yeah. box process. Yeah, we run them in four days Yeah, now. four days, yeah. So, uh, um, just, so I'll answer your challenge um, what does a prototype look like and then i'll come back to um some of the biggest challenges of bringing it in mm. the design sprint in so a prototype could literally be anything it could be something that was paper-based if you were looking to get an idea from a sales perspective uh, so it could be like a catalog you're trying to sell something to different customers you want to make sure that people can identify those key things you're looking to sell and mm. the the um Gosh, I can't think of the word. The the the, um, the angle you're going for is correct. Sure. Could be a, an object. You could print out a 4D object if you're in engineering. It could be an experience where you transform a space. Yep. It could be a service where people assume roles. We did a design sprint around a play. Yeah, really? yeah, it was wicked. Cool. Right? We uh, we had a screening. My team come up with these interactive surveys. We had sure. focus groups. We did it all in a day. Wow. Like the 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 performance. No, the, the no. In the two hours, we did the testing, but we did the we we built the play in less than a day, like key scenes, or it could be an app. Like for instance, we did a design sprint where we wanted to use, um, we wanted to see if a chatbot would work. Okay. So what we did was we created a script with WhatsApp, and we had people sit in a room and they'd answer questions with the WhatsApp. Perfect. So it doesn't have to be like. And so it's primarily kind of a lo-fi, you know, very lo-fi, just yeah. believable enough. It's, it's all about desirability. You're not looking at feasibility or mm. viability at this stage. You want to ensure it's a problem worth solving. So you want to be able to invest the minimum to be able to validate that. Beautiful. And then some of the, uh, so jumping back to some of the constraints then or some of the... Well, immediately, as soon as you say to people, it's, it's going to be like four to five days, people like, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. How will people know I'm still alive on Facebook <laughs> and all that sort of bollocks? People love the idea of a workshop, but as soon as you ask them to commit time to that intense environment, they're reluctant. What we've done is we now plan out workshops and let key stakeholders know when they need to be involved. And that's where the value of problem framing is to ensure that the right people are in the room to carry us through that journey. Then the project sponsor or stakeholder, major stakeholder, can have the confidence that they don't have to be there the whole time. We also, sometimes we break apart the design sprint where we do the first part of it, the workshop component, without the the customer. No, sorry, with the customer. And then we do the build and the testing without, and they come in for the testing part. So our goal, if they want to go through that program, is to make sure it's successful for them. And what does success, because I can imagine that, so we're starting from an assumption, well, we're starting from a place where we're sort of throwing assumptions out of the window, right? Like you sort of, you want to come into this design sprint. Obviously, you have something that you're, you know, a new idea or a new product, or some new change you want to yeah. create in your business. But then, you know, because I think often, especially at that kind of exec level, you know, there's an assumption, this is what we're going to do. We've already planned it out. Yeah. And we want to we execute. Yeah. Make it happen. Oh, so we, we ran a design sprint for a company, 
And I, I'm going to, if I say their names, please pretty promise you'll take the names out. <laughs> so Big Company X was, was taking. <laughs> so um, this company was basically taking a platform off of a bigger company and mm. they were taking it over. And their team, their developers were basically had the old system on one screen and they were creating the new system on another screen. So they were taking a like for like. Right. Now the program sponsor all of a sudden realized that um, this is actually an opportunity here. We've got an opportunity here to rebuild something that works for people, you know, as opposed to just doing the old system. And through a result of running our design sprint, we found out very quickly that nobody used said product. So it was a national product in different states. They used it differently. The way information was stored was causing major issues because it was touched by different organizations downstream. Hmm. So you've got from a government level all the way down to a private level. And because all the different stakeholders, the way data was collected wasn't um, wasn't consistently collected. It was, the data, data was a mess. So we realized very quickly we had to pause progress on the development. We knew we could do development. It's very binary, you know, like there's not much people can't build. Mm. However, it's people that are often the variable. So we needed to implement a change management program. So we came up with a consistent language. We also needed to come up with some sort of UX, UI framework that follows key user journeys and key user needs so people could quickly and efficiently capture the information they need and it could be transferable to different areas, different um, different stakeholders. So things like that is super important. And so did they pivot based off the, that outcome? Massively. Mm. Like they, they, they paused the progress of the project to be able to incorporate those things into it, into their program. So I often talk with clients, and you, and you probably know the uh, the diagram, which I'm drawing in there at the moment. Experience innovation, right? So you've got you've got uh, you've got business, you've got technology, and then you've got the human element. Of the, you know, the, oh, the old Venn diagram. The Venn diagram, yes. right? But the you know essentially everything that you're talking about is is that you know, that human focus, right? Because it's fine. We, we, okay, well, there's already a platform. We've got a business case. There's already a platform that yeah. exists. Let's just copy it. Yeah. That, okay, that might make sense. But if you don't actually go and ask people about how it works. Yeah, well, this, this, this is the thing. This is like, so this is why I'm, there's so many organizations out there that are in the solution space. You know, everyone, like build a website, build an app, build that. Mm. I didn't want to run a company that was in that space. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a red ocean. I, I, I see the real value is knowing where to focus. Execution's easy. I've been in the business now for over 20 years. Execution's easy. It's not a problem to build anything. Developers can build anything. Mm. Some. It's really getting, setting expectations, getting alignment, setting priorities. That's the real trick. What often happens in businesses is they start, they have problem, go straight to solution. And that's not a human-centered way of working. Our goal is to put abstraction in. And by abstracting the problem, we're able to look at all of the different elements that have created that initial, you know, that initial itch, that initial issue. And once we can start to understand them, as opposed to building a better, faster, larger product, service, etc., it might be something completely different. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, Apple, when they built the iPod, they didn't try and build a better iPod. Mm. They abstracted the problem. They were able to see that there's an option here. People, there was a bigger problem at play here in regards to MP, the, uh, the music community where people were stealing music. So that's where iTunes came from. So people could start 
you know, creating their own playlist and paying and they weren't having to buy albums and things like that. They looked at all the major pain points and built an ecosystem. Now, they wouldn't have been able to do that if they just looked at the MP3 player and just gone down. Let's just build a bigger MP3 player. Yeah. And the, from a marketing perspective, uh, there's some great case studies on that. You know, at the time you had uh, uh, Sony and a bunch of other companies. Uh, it's the other one that was a big, anyway. Um, all they were doing was more space, you know, more storage. The light. More, no, what's the other um, juke, uh, jukebox? That no, the, the best one. The best one is Sony that came up with the personal cassette player oh, that's uh, right, with yeah, yeah. two cassettes. <laughs> For the man that can't be bothered to change the tape in his cassette player, I might have actually bought one of them. Did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, but I, I would have. <laughs> you couldn't sit down with one of those things. <laughs> but yeah, like they, so the um, the simplicity of the those initial marketing campaigns, like a thousand songs in your pocket or whatever it yeah. was, right? That that and that that was it, or you yeah. know. You, it was, uh, yeah, they, they listened to what people actually wanted as opposed to, you know, and you, you look at the, the actual marketing materials for some of these other brands and it's like, it's too much to process. Like, who cares about all these? All these keep, you know. keep it simple and, and keep it simple. It's the hardest thing in the world. So the presentations, the talks we give, there's so much we could say. Like, literally, we, but there's only so much people can take in. Yeah. There's so much noise out there. You've just got to create a clear signal for people. And that's so true. So um, that's a good segue. So um, I've, I've sat in at a couple of your uh, workshops in uh, these type of events. So we're here at South Start. And I always um, thank you for attending because <laughs> you're one of the smartest people I know. So it's always it's always a privilege to see you look up and not be like nodding at me. Like, what the hell is this guy talking about? He doesn't know very many people. Um, <laughs> the... I think I think I think you're a really good facilitator, and I think actually the the coming back to simplicity, it's quite difficult to facilitate facilitate a workshop. It's easy, hard to say as well. But the other day, um, <laughs> haven't even been drinking wine yet. Um, so how do you go about doing that? So and I think I think this is good practical application for running a meeting or running you know a, a team you know brainstorming session. Sure. So first up is to remember everyone's human. Everyone like you know I know that sounds really dumb, but um, quite a naive thing to say, but what I mean is that everyone has their own challenges. So the first thing you have to do is um, to set the agenda, to respect people's time and respect people's voice. You have to provide a space that everyone feels safe. And that sounds kind of wishy-washy, but that's super important. Mm. We have a big rule, Chatham House Rules. This is a safe space for collaboration. A chap called Daniel Stillman talks about being a conversation designer. Okay. He's a big inspiration to me. Uh, design, he's a facilitator based out of New York. What's his name again? Daniel Stillman. He cool. has a podcast called The Conversation Factory. Nice. Um, and he talks about getting everyone focused and being present. And that's really important for us. When I do these big events or I run a workshop, my first goal is to make everyone like be be vulnerable, demonstrate vulnerability. So my goal is to make myself look stupid as quickly as possible, mm. so people buy in and see that I'm not some kind of like guru or ninja. Because that's the worst thing. Being the smartest person in the room is the loneliest place to be. Yeah. So you want to come in like truly with a beginner's mind. You provide that format. These are the smartest people. So you want to set expectations earlier. You want to respect people's time. You want to be able to give everyone a voice and you want to want people to feel confident that they can speak without being judged. I think one of the nice things about the design sprint workshops and the way it works is it really does give everybody a voice. So I think often in a team 
media environment, you're going to have two or three people that are kind of the, the dominators, you know, the, the dominators. And, yeah. you know, and, 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 and city in that sort of ID and um, personality type, you know, because they're just used to having a say and that that's what they do. Um, and I experience this with my team because we have quite a lot of sort of introverts that, you know, that very smart and love doing work, but in their team environment, that it's just not their place. That's just not how they operate. Yeah. So being able to one, yeah, sort of humanize the, that room and be, we're on a level playing field here but then to through some of the workshop you know activities so using post-it notes and and actually getting people being able to contribute without maybe having to shout the loudest yeah. is important and, and and do you know what like it's magical to me it's magical when we're in a workshop and i see everybody else doing the creative process it's like um i'm trying to say something here without people like looking <laughs> like thinking any badly of me so say for instance when you were young and you used to do irresponsible things i'll let you fill in the gaps there and you'd be like man this feels so great but i like i get to see people glimpse what that feels like as well you know like them being able to demonstrate that creative capability because often people think in their jobs the creative part of it is really just for the creators and Mm. that's not true everyone is creative everyone has creative capability and capacity Mm. I don't believe people are introverts. I believe it's all about making them feel confident and comfortable. Because often introverts, once you get them going, you're just like, man, this person won't shut up. Like, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> right. But I think it's just, uh, it's your default setting, yeah. right? So, and I think you can be, yeah, you can be shown away because and I think it's, it's, it's fear-based a lot of the time. So um, Andre, when he did the, the session this morning, you know, everybody's sitting in that auditorium here yeah. spread out. Myself included, I was right up the back. And he said, you know, like everybody just come down and sit at the front. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where everybody is like, uh, is he is he actually going to make us do this? And he's like, no, seriously, get up, yeah. off your butts and come down to the front now. It's, yeah. it's often just been shaken out of that. Just yeah. It gives you kind of that. And like, the permission. Okay. So as yeah. a, going back to what you're saying as a facilitator. So we had people come in late today and they sat in 20 minutes into the workshop. Mm. I just made them feel at home. Yeah. I ran a workshop. I was lucky enough to work, um, to run this workshop at Pause Fest at the beginning of the year. Mm. I think we saw each other. We then. did, yeah. And there was a lady that had, um, she was on crutches. So I went out my way, and not because I was trying to be, you know, like show myself to be a hero, but I, like, as a, I just wanted to make her feel comfortable. I, want, I helped her with a stall so she could, so she didn't have any obstacles for her to be able to participate and that's the goal as a facilitator to get rid of all of the obstacles and make it super easy mm. for people to feel comfort confident and comfortable enough to participate um how do you deal with an alpha in the room especially in a corporate environment where you might have you know an, a boss an executive that's in the room um that you know it is being domineering within conversation like is that do you feel like that's on you as a facilitator to try and remove that obstacle somehow how how do you so you have like you have a couple of tears in regards to how you deal with it it's almost like you know you've got me on video now i took my shoes (laughs) off i hope you don't mind it's sitting in this tent it's hopefully i just feel like "Mm." um so you have a couple of tears in regards to what you do you don't go to red alert straight away you have to softly softly Mm. You, you, you kind of work with them. You, they they, they want to be heard. At the end of the day, they want to be heard. So you have to provide that space for them to be heard. Mm. And they want to be acknowledged as well. However, if what they're saying isn't relevant, you have to provide that space for them to be able to have that conversation. And that might not be in that environment. So we use things like parking lots and backlogs so we can take this offline. So they don't feel like they're being cut off. Yeah, have to respect them. 
Now, if they're being truly disruptive, you're able to have a word with them, take them to one side and just say, you know, what's going on? Why, you know, is this of not value to you? Just find out what, you know, what's troubling them from their perspective. Mm. Now, if it escalates really and it's really disruptive for the group, you then go to the program sponsor and you ask them, you know, look, look, we're trying to accomplish this. You've invested in this. This person isn't helping. I don't know if, you know, if they are in the right space or if they, they see the value in this, what do you want to do as the decider? If it's the decider that's being truly disruptive, then you know, you've, got to, you've got to be able to adapt, treat people like people. You, you know, often I've run, I've run workshops, design sprints, where you get like two hours into the day and you're like, oh shit, my, my format's completely wrong. We've just uncovered something. And if we disregard it, like the direction we're going in won't add value. So we were running a workshop for an, a company and we found out this process, process, work process kept coming up and that we didn't delve deeper. Now we had a framework that we'd worked hard on, signed off on. However, you have to be fluid. You have mm. to say, look, this, from a group perspective, look, we could go down this direction is what we were intending to do. However, we've identified this is something that we share that's a big problem. Would you would you be happy for us to go down this, or should we continue on our track? And that way, you bring it out to the group, and like you know, you, the idea is to get to the best outcome. You can always come back to that conversation. And that's great for you guys to have the humility or humanness to actually realize, you know, like this isn't the right solution from from our perspective yeah. as facilitators. We need to we need to we need to. We're only human, man. Yeah. Like as is the title of this podcast, <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you do mess up. I've run a design sprint where I hadn't even done the, the sprint questions. I got back the evening and I was going through everything and I was like, oh, balls, I forgot the sprint. <laughs> and sprint questions are like the critical thing because that's the thing you test in the game. Yeah. So the following morning I came in, everyone's ready to go. They're like, that was a great first day. You know, I feel super stressed. We're ready to get going. I'm like, all right, guys, big reveal here. I had a little bit of a mess up yesterday. I was super excited. I forgot this. Can we revisit this? And people appreciate that, you yeah. know, like being honest. You know you're going to get there. You just got to be honest. And that way people come along on that journey. And that and that comes back to the whole premise of More Space for Light. It's all about being a relatable brand, something that takes away the mystique of getting from A to B. People feel comfortable and confident to work with. Beautiful. So if people want to find out more about More Space for Light, where can they, where can they find you? They can you? come and find me in this tent, <laughs> drinking the nice cool we're, water. We're in the uh, middle tent at South Star. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be here when this nah. gets released. Uh, so we are on Medium, and that's More Space with the number four, for Light. Uh, we're on Instagram, More Space for Light, F-O-R. We're on LinkedIn, More Space for Light. We've got our website, morespaceforlight.com.au. Um, you can connect with us. We're on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, we live a lot on in, uh, LinkedIn. We should be more prevalent on Medium in terms of our publishing. But as you know, things kind of take you away <laughs> from that sort of stuff. But, you know, if people want to get in touch and learn more, we are running workshops all the time. We've just got a meetup we've started in Melbourne called The Future of Now. Cool. So get in touch if you want to join that. And we're bringing in people from different parts, lots of different people. And the idea is we're, playing, we're providing an interface so they can learn more about agile, design thinking, what these future types of disciplines that they can take into their workplace so they can go a bit deeper. So we're providing that as a platform for them. 
Yeah, and I think that it's applicable across you know many industries. So oh. we're, we're not. I think people hear the word design and they think about you know what we do, but this this is applicable across anything. But design isn't a craft; mm. it's a capability, and it's changing that perception of it. And it and it, and it, you know you start that innovation process and you start it from the customer or the patient or the user, and it opens up new opportunities. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much for having a chat. Oh, finally got around to doing it, Ace. Yeah, we'll have to do a part two sometime. Part two? Yeah. Watch out. (laughs) Cheers, mate. All right, thank you so much. Hey, it's Sam here again. Thanks to everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Dan, and South Star for having us along. What a fantastic couple of days. We'll be back again next year. If you enjoyed the chat, tell somebody about it. Or if you want to have a conversation with me about anything we discussed or you'd like to get in touch with Dan, feel free to hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, through our website. More than happy to chat. Until next time, we'll have another awesome guest from South Start. Try and stay cool out there. Cheers.